I mentioned the importance of devotion to the Father. And uh, you know what the Recolta is. The Recolta is the official prayer book of the church. It contains indulgenced prayers, prayers that the church considers to be so beneficial that she attaches an indulgence, a benefit of an indulgence to the prayer to encourage you and me to offer those prayers and to offer them prayerfully, thoughtfully, with our minds and hearts, not just recite them. And it's remarkable how few of those prayers address God the Father. It's remarkable. We have so many prayers that address, of course, our Lord. Other prayers address the Holy Ghost. There are prayers that address our Blessed Lady and the saints. Of course, you know, as Catholics, that the prayer of adoration we address only to God. The prayer of contrition for sin we address only to God because contrition is expressing our sorrow for not having, not having adored God as we should have. And that applies to God alone. We address our prayers of thanksgiving ultimately, of course, to God because all good things come from above, from the Father of lights, as St. James says. Uh, the only prayer that we address to any saint, anyone other than God, is the prayer of supplication, really. And even there, what we're asking is that the saints in heaven not pray instead of us, in the sense that they pray for us, in the sense of that they do the praying, we don't. That their prayer is somehow a substitute for our prayers, because there is no such thing as a substitute for our prayers. But what we're really doing is asking the prayers, the saints in heaven, to pray with us, to unite their prayers with ours. <clears throat> and therefore give our prayers an added beauty and power before God. So that is uniquely how we as Catholics pray to the saints. The Recolta is full of such prayers, and yet there are very, very few prayers directed to God the Father. I don't know why, but I wonder, I do wonder, if the reason for that is that when it comes to our prayers directly to God the Father, it is not really a matter of rote prayers so much as it is a matter of a child speaking to his father in a very personal way. <coughs> no. But I think the prayers that we address to God the Father have to be especially personal prayers. <clears throat> we see the example of our Lord in the Gospels. We see time and time again, not only in the Gospel of St. John, I mentioned the Gospel of St. Matthew too, that our Lord speaks about the Father. <clears throat> I'd mentioned to you the Sermon on the Mount, and I'd mentioned the discourse of our Lord at the Last Supper. But I didn't actually quote from the Sermon on the Mount with regard to addressing the Father. But you have already, from chapter 5 of St. Matthew, our Lord telling us of the Father in the Sermon on the Mount. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
St. Matthew 5, verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven, who maketh his Son to rise upon the good and the bad, and reigneth upon the just and the unjust. St. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Be you therefore perfect, as you are also your heavenly Father is perfect. St. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Take heed that you do not your justice before men, to be seen by them, otherwise you shall not have a reward of your Father who is in heaven. St. Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, That thy alms may be in secret, and thy Father who seeth in secret will repay thee. You get the idea. In Sermon on the Mount, in three chapters, our Lord speaks of the Father, our Father, 17 times. Altogether in St. Matthew, God, our Lord, our Lord speaks of his Father and our Father 50 times. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, therefore, St. Matthew mentions the Father almost as often as St. John does in the five chapters of his discourse. So we have our Lord speaking at the beginning of his public life, the Sermon on the Mount, St. Matthew 5, 6, 7, and we have our Lord speaking to the apostles at the end of his public life in his discourse at the Last Supper. And again, the theme from both the Sermon on the Mount and the discourse at the Last Supper are all centered around the Father, the Father, the Father. And uh, I don't know how many times we ourselves invoke, actually turn to the Father and address God the Father and adore him and thank him and uh, express our love for him as a father. I don't know how often we meditate upon the Father and turn our thoughts and our minds, our affection to him as, as God the Father. That's extremely important. It's essential, actually. It is what our Lord has been telling us to do in these words of the gospel. The church understands this. The Catholic church understands this as no one else can because this is the church that Christ himself established. So the Catholic church understands what this means. Um, and this is where I want to take a look at the prayers of the mass because that expresses the mind of the church, her, her true worship. Perfectly. So I asked you to bring your missiles. <coughs> bring your missiles, and I ask you to turn your missiles to the ordinary of the Mass. <coughs> I assume, and that's wrong to do, that's a mistake often, but I assume that every one of us here at some time in his life had someone sit down with us and show us how to use the missile. It's something we need to remember to do with the converts, that we can actually show them how to use the missile. Someone has to show them. Because the missile is not necessarily self-explanatory, at least it's not self-evident. It takes some real knowledge. You know that there are ordinary prayers of the Mass that are prayed in virtually every Mass. The Gloria, the Credo, sometimes the Gloria is not prayed, for example, during Lent during penitential days, vigils, and so on. 
Sometimes the credo is not prayed. It's prayed on Sundays and on major feast days and the, and the feast days of doctors of the church, but it's not prayed at every Mass. And yet the Gloria and the Credo are part of the ordinary of the Mass because <clears throat> when they are prayed, they don't change. Uh, the vast majority of the prayers of the Mass are the ordinary. Together with the ordinary prayers, you have the propers, what are called the propers. And the propers belong to the feast or the day of the time of year. There are two cycles of propers, as they call them, cycles that travel throughout the year. There's the sanctoral cycle with the feast days of the saints, of our Blessed Mother, of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the sanctoral cycle. <clears throat> but you also have the times of year. That's the temporal cycle, the times of years, Lent, Advent, uh, Sundays after Pentecost. Those are the times of the year. And the sanctoral cycle of the saints' feast days <coughs> and the temporal cycle of the events of our Lord's life and so on, these, these have to, they kind of interplay as they go through the year. You know this from experience. You've seen it happen. And now you are adept at knowing. You have your Catholic calendars, your Roman Catholic calendars to help you follow it. Some of you can even follow the ordo that the priests use in the sacristy to know exactly what prayers of the propers are to be used at any given Mass. But today I want to just look at the ordinary, the prayers of the ordinary, the prayers that you find in all the Masses. Because I want you to see the central part of the Father in these prayers and how the Mass really turns around our Lord's love for his Father. But this is the center of the Mass. This is the very central idea of the Mass. Our Lord Jesus Christ's love for his Father and the obedience that his love inspires for his Father. We know that the Mass is a sacrifice, and we know whose sacrifice it is. We know who offers the sacrifice. We know who is offered in the sacrifice. We know the purpose for which he offers himself in the sacrifice. But all too often, we can overlook the fact that his sacrifice is offered to someone, and that someone is the Father. And if we are not mindful of that, in the offering of the Mass, in our attendance at the Mass, we've missed something really important. In other words, the most important thing to our Lord, in our Lord's mind, in our Lord's heart, throughout a Calvary and throughout the Mass, it seems to be the one thing that we might miss, that it never enters our mind, that this offering is being offered to the Father, and if we want to unite ourselves with the offering of that sacrifice, we need to be mindful of that, that this is being offered to the Father. And we, like our Lord himself, need to be directing our prayers to the Father to really pray with our Lord. That's what we need to do. The Mass begins with the ordinary, the ordo mise, as it says, in nomine patris et filii et spiritus sancti. You know, it begins with the sign of the cross. When you pray the rosary, when you pray 
the Angelus, often when you pray, for grace before meals, you're used to, you make the sign of the cross. It's an indulgenced prayer. You know, we use the sign of the cross <clears throat> to dedicate whatever we're doing or saying to the service of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We use it as a profession of faith. The sign of the cross professes belief in the Blessed Trinity, the Incarnation, the Redemption, all of those fundamental mysteries of our faith are expressed by that simple gesture of the sign of the cross. We use the sign of the cross in exorcisms. We use the sign of the cross in blessings. <clears throat> How fundamental that is to us as Catholics. It astounds me that Protestants say they believe in the incarnation. They believe in the Trinity. They believe in the redemption. They believe in all these things, but they would not not make the sign of the cross with you. Why? Because it's Catholic. There's something really perverse about that that really shows that their religion is Protestant religion. It's a protest. It's all about protesting what you and I believe because we're Catholic. That's the, that's the substance of their religion. It is really Protestant, a protest. And it's so sad. You'd think... If they realized what they were saying, they'd be ashamed and they would repent. But often they don't, it's sad to say. But the church considers the sign of the cross to be such an important thing that it's a prayer that is indulgenced. And I mentioned some time ago that in the Recolta of the 1930s, uh, the sign of the cross was indulgenced with a hundred days indulgence every time you make the sign of the cross. And if you make the sign of the cross with holy water, 300 days indulgence, and since then someone brought to my attention that since then the church, traditional, the tr traditional church, actually increased the indulgence to 500 days of indulgence for making the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost with the holy water, like when you enter a church. If you had been well aware of that since you were a child, and every time you entered the church and made the sign of the cross, you, you had that intention of gaining the indulgence, you'd be a rich man right now. It's very, very rich men in terms of those indulgences. But there's still time and you still can. But that tells us what the church makes of this, sign of the cross. And of course, it always begins, it always begins in the name of the Father. And you see the, the Psalm Yudikame, the prayers at the foot of the altar, Psalm Yudikame, judge me, O God. And you realize, okay, this refers to the Blessed Trinity. Okay. And at the end, you have the Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto. Gloria be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Again, we're talking about the Blessed Trinity here, starting with the Father. And, but now you go to uh, the Confitior. <clears throat> and you should know what you're doing when you're praying the Confitior. When you pray the Confitior, you couldn't be more Catholic. If there's one thing Catholics are known for, well, there are a number of things Catholics are known for. It's not of the cross, not eating meat on Friday, tra traditionally, and uh, believing that you can pray to saints. Well, here you have the quintessential example of praying to saints, because as soon as the priest enters the sanctuary, and as he's nearing uh, the end, or, or merely halfway through the prayers at the foot of the altar, what does he do? He bows 
and he immediately addresses Almighty God, the, he addresses the Blessed Mother, he addresses St. Michael the Archangel, he addresses St. John the Baptist, and he addresses the Holy Apostles, Peter and Paul, all the saints, and all of you who are there in the church, his servers, and all of you who are in attendance. The priest is actually talking to all of you. He says that. Confiteor Deo Omnipotenti. I confess to Almighty God, to the Blessed Mother, I confess to Blessed Michael the Archangel, Blessed John the Baptist, Holy Apostles, St. Peter and St. Paul, and yes, to you too. He's confessing that he has sinned in thought, word, and deed through his fault, through his fault, through his most grievous thought. So at one and the same time, he's addressing Almighty God, he's addressing the saints in heaven, and he's addressing everybody there in the church on earth right now. Altogether, talk about the communion of saints. And he's addressing them all as though they all hear him and they're all immediately present to him. As though the saints in heaven actually are aware of what he's doing and they hear what he's saying and they know what, he's, what he means when he's confessing these things. And you see, this is so characteristically Catholic that we believe in the communion of saints and we believe that the saints in God can see us in God, in the mind of God, as God's creation. And they are immediately aware of us and what we're doing when we invoke them, when we call upon them, when we address ourselves to them. We as Catholics believe that the saints are closer to us than we could be to anyone else here on earth ever that the saints are closer to us than we could ever be to anyone else on this earth in this life. That's how close they are. Because they are united with us through the bond of sanctifying grace, and they see us as we are in the mind of our own creator. And they, that's how they see themselves. They know themselves as they are in the mind of their own creator. So we are united in this tremendously close and intimate bond with the saints in heaven who love us more than anyone on earth could love because now they have a knowledge of us and a love of us that is united with the love of God. And they really do love us and they want, as those who love, they want our good. Ultimately, what the, the good they want for us is that we have what they have. They want us to share what they have. They want us to see what they see. They want us to hear what they hear in heaven. They want us to have the joys of heaven. They want us to have everlasting life. This is what the saints want for us. It's the greatest wish possible. And they want it with a great love, a great desire. Because goodness tends to, to, to share of itself. They want us to share this with them. So when I or any priest bows to pray the confitior, when the servers bow to pray the confitior, when before the communion they bow and pray the confitior for you and you are praying with them, realize what you're doing here. You're actually addressing the entire court of heaven and confessing the fact that you are sinners and you're asking them to pray. Notice, I'm confessing to God, but at the end of that, when I ask uh, the result of that, I'm asking uh, all of them, except I'm not asking God to pray for me. I'm asking all of the saints and you together with them to pray for me. 
there you truly have a very, very Catholic prayer, a very powerful prayer. And when you do pray it, you should be mindful of the fact that you are confessing your sinfulness to Almighty God, but before the entire court of heaven, with the conviction that, yes, the Blessed Mother hears you, and so does St. Michael the Archangel, and so does St. John the Baptist, so do the Holy Apostles, St. Peter and St. Paul, and all the saints. They hear you better than the person standing next to you. The server to my right is heard by the saints in heaven when he prays the Confiteor even better than the server to my left can hear him because they hear us as we are in, in the mind of God uh, who holds us all in existence. So that's the communion of saints. It's very beautiful. This is very Catholic. Now, you know, you keep turning the pages, and I want to come to uh, the Mass of the Catechumens and the Kyrie Eleison. Now, the Kyrie Eleison, notice there are three triplets. And the first of the three, Kyrie Eleison, Kyrie meaning Lord, Eleison meaning have mercy, as you know. Lord, have mercy on us. <clears throat> the first three are addressed to God the Father. The next are addressed to our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the Christe Eleison, a title addressed specifically, uniquely to our Lord. So the third, the, the three of the second addressed to the Christe Eleison refer to our Lord, and the, the next set, the third set of three, address the Holy Ghost. You know that. So at, the point is, you can distinguish in the prayers of the Mass between the times they're addressing the Father, when they're addressing the Son, and when they're addressing the Holy Ghost. The Kyrie Eleison is just the first example of that. And when we pray the Gloria in Excelsis Deo again, we are praying, as we say, Domini Deus Rex Celestis Deus Pater Omnipotens. We are praying, first of all, to the Lord God, the King, the Heavenly King, to God the Father Almighty. He is the first one whom we address. Then we address the Son, and finally we address the Holy Ghost. Again, the addressing of the three persons of us turning is very clear here. And uh, you turn to the Munda Corps. Now, we've read the epistle, and at the end of the epistle, of course, now we uh, read the gradual and the Alleluia verse, but the priest goes to the middle because he's going to pray the gospel. And before he prays the gospel, he stops in the middle of the altar and he says the prayer, cleanse my heart and my lips, almighty God. Now that prayer is very instructive. Why? Because you might say uh, it, it addresses almighty God. And you might say, well, this refers to the blessed Trinity, doesn't it? And the answer is no, it does not. It does not refer to the blessed Trinity. Because you keep reading and you come across a phrase that is extremely important. At the very end of that prayer, it says, Per Christum Dominum Nostrum, through Christ our Lord. So it's not addressing Christ. That prayer is not addressed to Jesus Christ. It is not addressed to the second person of the Blessed Trinity. It is addressed through the second person of the Blessed Trinity made man. It is addressed to the Father. 
That prayer is addressed specifically, uniquely, to God the Father. And uh, so as we, as we turn the page of the Mass, we find that more and more, we find that we are addressing that, we are referring more and more, and it becomes more and more clear that we are addressing the Father because the sacrifice of the Mass is offered to the Father. We see the credo here. And we say, Credum unum Deum, I believe in one God, but the first of the persons, Patrem omnipotentem, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. That's where I begin. That's where I begin, in my faith in God. It, it would perhaps help you to know, if you don't already know, I assume you do, but again, assumptions can be a bad idea, that the Father and the Son are different persons precisely because the Father has no origin, but the Son does have an origin. The Son, you might say, originates in the Father and from the Father. The Father generates his Son from all eternity by his self-knowledge and infinite act of intellect, if self-knowledge, God the Father, God is Father and generates a Son, who is his perfect self-image, who is his divine word from all eternity. As long as God exists, and we can't even use the expression as long as he exists, because he exists in eternity, beyond time. So God has been Father and Son, always is father and son. It is impossible that he is not ever father and son. It follows from who he is, the divine being, one divine being, three divine persons. The son takes his origin from his father. That is called a procession in theology. They refer to the divine procession of the son from the father. The father has no principle of his being. He is he exists of himself. And so the Son has a principle of his being, though. It is the Father, the Father's knowledge, which has generated him as a Son, as his own word, in a sense, as his own child. Even we talk about, our, we, we talk about having a brainchild, uh, a kind of concept. Even the word conception seems to indicate this, that we see it's spiritually possible. And maybe that is just a very distant echo of the reality in God, of God's divine mind, as it were, having that infinite power of knowing to generate his own son, his own self-image. And then that divine person of the Father and the divine person of the Son love, and they are united by such a powerful bond of love, an infinitely powerful bond of love, that there breathes forth from that love, well, the very, shall we say, personification of that love in the person of the Holy Ghost. And so the Son proceeds from his Father by generation. The Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father and the Son together by their mutual love, proceeds by an act of spiration. It's almost, as we say, by breath by the breathing of uh, the breathing of God almost as the breath of God. 
And so we see these divine persons, the Father not generated, not spirated, the Father not begotten, but the Son who is generated and begotten of the Father, and the Holy Ghost breathed forth by their mutual love for each other from all eternity. This is God. This is who God is. And so when we see this reflected in the Mass, when we see it reflected when we make the sign of the cross, we see that the prayers of the Mass are directed in certain very definite ways. Sometimes the prayers may be directed to the entire Blessed Trinity, sometimes directed to the Son, sometimes directed to the Holy Ghost, but most often they are directed to the Father himself because it is to the Father that our Lord is offering his sacrifice. That's something we need to keep in mind to really fathom the wonder of the Mass and to pray with our Lord himself on the cross. And so we, we turn the page here and we come to the first prayer of the offertory. Now you're coming to the essential parts of the Mass, you know, the offertory, and the canon of consecration and the communion. Those are the three essential parts of the Mass. And so we find in these three essential parts of the Mass, which constitute the Mass of the faithful, we find here that these prayers are directed almost entirely and uniquely to the Father. Look at the first prayer of the offertory. Receive, O Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, this spotless host, meaning victim, this is how the offertory begins, after the brief offertory verse. The ordinary prayer, beginning the offertory. The offertory which tells you exactly what you're there to do, what you're offering. That's why the offertory prayers have to state the significance, the very nature of the offering being made here. And we are there to offer a sacrifice of reparation for sin. This is the sacrifice of the redemption. It's made very clear. The priest starts out by saying, I'm offering this victim in reparation for my faults and sins and negligences, and not only mine, but for those here present, and for all faithful Christians, living and dead. There's only one sacrifice that can be. It's very interesting to note that the Novus Ordo completely annihilated these prayers, absolutely ripped them out and threw them away because they state clearly the fact that we are here to offer the sacrifice of the cross. But notice to whom the offering is being made. Receive a Holy Father, Holy Father, Sancte Pater. It's directed to God the Father. And so it is with the filling of the chalice and the offering of the chalice. It is directed actually to the Father. How can you tell? Well, Again, you see the prayer, O God, who in a wonderful manner does create and ennoble human nature. That's what the priest prays when he's pouring the water, the wine and the water into the chalice. And that prayer refers to, to Jesus Christ. The fact that it refers to Jesus Christ means it's not, it's not directed to Jesus Christ. It mentions Jesus Christ in the third person. But again, it is directed to the Father. The prayer is to the Father. To Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with you in the unity of the Holy Ghost. That's how the prayer ends. That tells you 
that it's not the prayer is not offered to Jesus Christ and is not offered to the Holy Ghost, it is offered uniquely to the Father. And the same with the prayer when the priest raises the chalice. We offer thee the chalice of salvation, O Lord. It is directed to the Father. Now, the prayers that come afterwards, there's a prayer that, be, that follows, May we, humble in spirit and penitent in heart, be accepted by thee, O Lord. Okay? And these prayers are directed to the Holy Ghost. Notice the prayer, Come, Almighty Sanctifier, Eternal God. Now, this Sanctifier, this is a title of the Holy Ghost. So this is one prayer which is very clearly directed to the Holy Ghost. Prayer is very important, of course. It calls down the power of the Holy Ghost onto the offerings. Um, there are some in the Eastern Rites who even consider this prayer necessary for the Mass to be valid, to invoke the power of the Holy Ghost. But the Catholic Church in the West has never said that, never decreed that. But it, this prayer is clearly directed to God the Holy Ghost uniquely. Uh, you have prayers for the blessing of incense afterwards. Uh, those take place at high masses when incense is being offered. Uh, I don't know if you have them in your missals, but the, again, they're very instructive. Why? Well, because we have the prayer for the blessing of incense at the offertory. And we say, may the Lord be pleased to bless this incense and to receive its sweet fragrance. Now notice at the end of that prayer, you have the expression, Per Christum Dominum Nostrum. Whenever you have an ending of a prayer like that, Per Christum Dominum Nostrum, or Per Dominum Nostrum Isum Christum Virium Tuum, you know the prayer is being offered through Jesus Christ, not to him, but through him. And when you have a prayer that is offered through Jesus Christ, whenever the prayer ends with those words, you know again that prayer is directed uniquely to God the Father. It tells you immediately, these prayers are directed to God the Father. So uh, we keep turning the pages and we come to uh, the prayer at the end of the offertory, just before the preface. And the prayer at the end of the offertory is clearly, again, directed to the Blessed Trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Why? Because it says so. Receive, O Holy Trinity, this oblation, which we make to thee in remembrance of the passion, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice that the Holy Trinity is addressed as such by name. <laughs> the, uh, again, this is one of the few prayers in the Mass that is explicitly directed to the Blessed Trinity by that name. The name Trinity was actually uh, created specifically uh, by one of the fathers of the church in the West, Tertullian, to express the mystery of there being three persons in one God. And it is a word that was made, as I say, uniquely to express that truth. It is the word by which Christians in the West have always referred to the mystery of the three persons in one divine being God. Trinity. And so we find it in the Mass, in this prayer, and also one or two of the other prayers. And now you see the Arate Fratres again. The prayer, Brethren, pray that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable, again, to God the Father Almighty, 
Notice, it's explicitly stated here. And the servants answer, May the Lord receive the sacrifice at thy hands to the praise and glory of his name. To our own benefit and that of all his holy church, again, the Lord there refers to the Father, uniquely to the Father. Now you come to the preface of the Mass, and at the cost of belaboring the point, I just want to drive it home here, so when you attend the Mass, there's no mistake, and you know exactly where your mind should go. To the Father. Every single preface, and there are numerous preferences, as you know, um, we have the preface of the Sacred Heart of Jesus that we're using right now. Um, we had the preface of the Nativity that we're praying for the octave before that for the Feast of Corpus Christi. We have the common presses, preface uh, used during weekdays. We have the preface of the most, preface of the most Holy Trinity. We have preface of our Blessed Mother, preface of St. Joseph, preface of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost, and so on. You know, all of these prefaces, every one of them, begin the same way. And they all begin addressing God the Father. Vere dinimit justum est, eicum et salutare, nos tibi semper et ubique gratias acere, Domine Sancte, Pater Omnipotens, Eterne Deus. It is truly meet and right, proper, and availing to salvation, that we should always and everywhere give thanks to Thee, O Holy Lord, Father Almighty, everlasting God, through Christ our Lord. So you see, the prefaces, every one of them, as a lead-in to the canon of the Mass, all are addressed to the Father as the prayers of the offertory. And we say, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. Again, when we say the Sanctus, we are addressing that to God the Father. The first words of the canon of the Mass, always, 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 Te Egitur, Clementissime Pater, we are offering through Jesus Christ thy Son and we are addressing and offering to the most merciful Father. It is through Jesus Christ that we address him humbly and we come to God the Father. That should be what's in our hearts and our minds when we pray these prayers. We should actually be thinking, I am coming to the Father Jesus Christ, my Lord, has sent me to the Father. I am coming to the Father because Jesus Christ has sent me. And not only am I thinking about the Father in this way, I'm actually saying these words to God the Father. I'm saying to God the Father, Father, I come to thee, unworthy as I am, because thy Son, Jesus Christ, has sent me to thee. Jesus Christ, thy Son, sent me to thee, Father. And I may say, as unworthy as I am. But Jesus Christ, thy Son, has sent me to thee because I have a certain love for him. And I know that that love for him, as he tells me, gives me access to thee. And you, you Father, thou, Father, lovest me because I love thy Son, the very Son who sent me to thee. And that's... That's how we should approach God in the Mass. That's how our Lord wants us to approach Him. That's how He commands us to approach Him. And, um, you know, we're asking the Father to accept the, the gifts, uh, the offerings, 
the sacrifices, the holy and unblemished sacrifice. In other words, we're asking here the Father to accept really what is to be the body and blood of his own son, his own son personally to accept him. And again, the second prayer of the Mass again refers to the Father here. In previous quay, tibi offerimus, which we offer them to thee, Father, in the first place for these intentions. And we say, remember, O Lord, thy servants and handmaids. Remember who we're addressing here. We're addressing God the Father. And we pray uh, about being in fellowship with and reverently bringing in mind uh, to mind, firstly, the glorious Mary, Mary Ever-Virgin, and so on. Again, we end that prayer, to be very clear, we end that prayer through the same Christ our Lord. In other words, again, the prayer is not addressed to Jesus. It is addressed to the Father. The same with the next prayer, the Hagijitur, when the priest places his hands over the chalice. And he ends that prayer, through Christ our Lord. All of these prayers are being directed to the Father through Jesus Christ the Lord. The Quamoblationen prayer preceding the consecration. We refer to it becoming the body and blood of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we are talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. We are talking to God the Father. All of these words are directed to God the Father. Even the words of consecration, we recount by remembering what our Lord has done and reenacting them. But again, they are directed to God the Father. The unde et memores, the unde et memores, therefore, Lord, in memory of the blessed passion of the same Christ thy Son, it's not directed to Jesus. It's directed to the Father. And so on, and so forth. And so it is throughout the prayers of the canon. Supliches te rogamus, we humbly beseech thee, almighty God, bid these offerings be carried by the hands of thy holy angel. And we're asking that this be done through the same Christ our Lord, the Son, but it is the Father to whom we pray. The same with the memento of the dead. The same with all of the prayers, the nobis quoque peccatoribus, per Christum Domino Nostrum, through Christ our Lord. Whenever you see those words, let them remind you. I am praying to the Father. I'm addressing God the Father through the Son. I am coming to the Father through the Son, exactly as he told me to. And even the last prayer of the canon. We saw the first prayer, Te Ejitur, Clementissime Pater, Thee, therefore, uh, most merciful Father, beginning of the canon of the Mass, the very last prayer of the canon of the Mass, per ipsum et cum ipso et in ipso, through him and with him and in him, is to you, God, the Father, the Father Almighty, the last prayer of the canon again, just as the first, is directed through Jesus Christ, the Son, to the Father. Where are we? Where is our mind? Where are we usually at Mass when we go through the canon? Where are our thoughts? Are they actually directed with the thoughts of our Lord to the Father? Are they following the directions of our Lord? Are we actually going through the Son? Are we actually going through the Son 
to the Father. Is that where our thoughts are? Is that where our hearts are? Well, that's where your thoughts and hearts have to be if you're praying. If you're praying to the Father, then that's the very essence of what it is to pray to the Father, to be mindful of Him and to actually love Him. And as soon as the canon mass is done, what follows next, you know. Pater Noster, our Father who art in heaven. Right? You have the canon, you have the preface of the Mass leading into the canon. And immediately after the canon, you have the Pater Noster. So it's as though the canon of the Mass is framed by these two great invocations of the Father. What could be more clear? What should be more obvious? Where our prayers our thoughts, and our hearts should be, but directed to the Father. That's what our Lord wants of us. I'm, I'm actually, I've actually become convinced that there are certain prayers that need to be prayed to the Father to really be truly efficacious. That, yes, we can pray, and do pray to others, even the second and third person of the Blessed Trinity. But I believe that there's a special efficacy in praying through our Lord to the Father and addressing the Father personally, directly, as a child of God, ordered by Jesus Christ to go to the Father, I think there are certain prayers that have a special power there. Because we are doing that in obedience to Christ, to, to Christ our Lord, who has told us this is what we must do. So I think it's very important that we keep that in mind. We understand it. The Libranos is directed to Domine, the Father. How do we know? Because at the end it says, Perium nam Dominum nostrum Jesum Christum Vidium Tum. The prayer is offered through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. It's offered through Jesus. It's not offered to him. It's offered through him to the Father. Again, that's where our minds and our hearts should be. We should be aware of this. But now we come to a very brief set of prayers that are clearly directed to Jesus Christ personally. And these are the prayers that begin on your stay, because that's a title of our Lord himself, Lamb of God, Lamb of God. At that point, the priest is bowing over, and he's face to face with the host, and he's actually speaking to the host. He's speaking to our Lord personally present at host. Lamb of God, who take us away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. And then, he says three prayers that are his own personal prayers of preparation for Holy Communion. And each one of these three prayers is explicitly directed to Jesus Christ, not peradominum nostrum Jesus Christum, not through Jesus Christ, but these prayers are directed by the priest, speaking directly to our Lord, present in the, in the host and in the chalice. And you see what we're asking. And you would do well during Mass to make those prayers your own, because you can. There's nothing in those prayers that would prevent you from offering those prayers too, to our Lord present on the altar. But those are among the very few prayers that are not offered through our Lord Jesus Christ, but that are actually offered directly to Jesus Christ there upon the altar. Among the very, very few, of the prayer, few prayers of the Mass that are directed to our Lord by name. And so then you know, you know the communion. And uh, I'm going to uh, stop this period there because I think the point has been made 
has been made and made and made and made. <laughs> um, but I thought it was worth making the point. Because I'd like us all to uh, realize the significance of those prayers in the Mass and what the Church is telling us, what the Church is doing there, is, is addressing Almighty God from the altar. And the priest is addressing him, addressing Almighty God the Father, because that's what our Lord did at the Last Supper and on the cross and has instructed you and me to do as well. And I, I just get the understanding from, as I say, what people have, have told me, that this is kind of a novel idea to them. It's as though they've learned to address everyone but God the Father. You know, when we meditate, we really should uh, look to have our meditations ultimately directed to God the Father. And I'm going to close with this idea that there are certain ways we can, uh, shall we say, map out a, a process or a procedure to meditate in such a way that our meditation will take us in steps to, to God the Father, to addressing God the Father, to be mindful of God the Father. You know, when our, our Lord um, speaks to us, he speaks to us through prophets, he speaks to us ultimately through his own son, but he sent a kind of progression in the sense that our Lord sent the Holy Ghost, Almighty God sent the Holy Ghost to the Blessed Mother. And with the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost, Blessed Mother conceived God's Son, Jesus, in her womb. And so we, we see here brought together the Blessed Mother, our Lord, the Holy Ghost. We see our Lord promising the Holy Ghost at the Last Supper and telling us that the Holy Ghost is there to enable us to remember what Jesus himself has taught and never forget it. In other words, to keep us on track with the true faith that Jesus Christ has taught us. So I think it, it wouldn't be a bad idea. Now, this is just one idea. You can, by the grace of God, also think of ways that you would approach a meditation to ultimately lead you to be mindful of God the Father and be able to have a kind of uh, connection uh, in, in thought and affection with God the Father. But this is just one thought of, first of all, going to our Blessed Mother, starting with our Blessed Mother, <clears throat> and saying to her something along, along these lines. My dearest Mother Mary, now this is just hypothetically here, but just an idea of what could be going through your mind as you approach Our Lady for the sake of meditating. My dearest Mother Mary, the Gospel tells us that you kept in your heart and pondered all the events of your life with your Divine Son. Our Lord, I ask now that you give me access to your heart and thus enable me to hold those things in my heart that you pondered in yours. As the best mother, you teach your children how to pray, so let me find in your heart the workshop, the academy of prayer to turn my attention and my affection to God.
At the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel presented the Father's plan to you and filled the Holy Ghost And through the Holy Ghost, you offered yourself without reserve as the handmaid of the Lord. Mother Mary, lead me now to that Holy Ghost who so filled you and exalted you on that day. I turn to invoke the enlightenment and inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the enlightenment of my intelligence, the inspiration of my will, my love. I turn to the Holy Ghost. So what I've just done is ask our Blessed Mother to take me to the Holy Ghost so that the Holy Ghost may lead me from there. And then to the Holy Ghost, one might say, O infinite love of the Father and the Son, breathe forth as the divine person of the Holy Ghost, enlighten me and inspire me now to devote some moments of my life to meditate upon the wonderful works of God as thou didst work them at Pentecost. By thy divine power thou didst engender in Mary the humanity of the Redeemer. Now I beg thee to enlighten my mind that I may know what is right, strengthen my will that I may do what is right, inflame my heart with love for God and charity for my neighbor. At the Last Supper, our Lord Jesus Christ promised to send thee the Holy Ghost in order to confirm us in the truths of faith by, as he said, bringing to our minds all things whatsoever I, Jesus, have taught you. So now I ask thee, O Holy Ghost, to reveal the mind and the heart of my Savior, the Divine Son, to me. So I've asked the Holy Ghost now to fulfill his role, and that is to take me to our Lord. So I've asked our Blessed Mother to take me to the Holy Ghost, and I then have the Holy Ghost, in turn, to take me, for the very reason that our Lord sent him, to take me to reveal my Lord to him, his heart, his sacred heart to me. And so I address God the Son. My Lord Jesus Christ, eternal Son of the Father, become man to live and to die and to rise for me. I now join thy blessed mother, St. John thy Apostle and St. Mary Magdalene under the cross. Thou didst spend more than three years teaching thy disciples before thy death, and after thy resurrection devoted still forty days training thy apostles. O Lord Jesus, thou hast taught me to pray, beginning with the words, Our Father. At thy last supper thou didst tell the apostles that the Father himself loved them because they loved thee. I also love thee now, Lord, and I beg thee now to teach me of the Father. Speak to me of the Father. Allow me to see thy Father in thee. Reconcile me to the Father. Take me to the Father. And so from the Blessed Mother, I ask this grace that she lead me to the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I ask the Holy Ghost now to lead me to know the Son, the Divine Son, and then I ask the Divine Son to fulfill his mission in me, and that is that I may know the Father. And there I'm left to actually ponder and meditate upon the presence of God the Father. And I might, I might say to God the Father, Our Father who art in heaven, my Lord Jesus, thy beloved Son has sent me to thee with the assurance 
that thou lovest me also, because I love him. Father, reveal thyself to me in thy Son. Grant that I may know him and love him intimately, and please make thyself known to me through him. I wish to direct all my thoughts and all my love, my entire awareness of my soul to thee, dearest Father, utterly forgetful of everything else, including my very self, Father, I now wish to be mindful only of thee and of thy mindfulness of me. Mentally, we might then mentally repeat simply the name of Father, slowly and lovingly, not as a, as a mantra to command some spirit from the other world like the pagans do, but to repeat the name of the Father as our Lord repeated the name of the Father at the Last Supper to the Apostles, to repeat the name of the Father with that same love and affection and reverence that the early Christians did, which our Blessed Mother did, which our Lord himself did, to repeat the name of the Father as a loving address of the God who comprehends you and loves you and even loves you into being, even loves you into your very existence, and he loves you. And to take a few moments of your life then to, to just be left there alone in the privacy of your own mind and your own heart with the thought of the Father. And that would be a way of learning to meditate upon the divine presence of the Father, something I think that not many Catholics do. At least I get the impression not many of them do. Perhaps it doesn't even occur to them. I don't know. But it should. It should occur to them. So uh, with that, I'm going to close this conference.